Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Well, hello and welcome back to Riverside Online. We're continuing our greater series today, looking at the book of Hebrews together. We're exploring this wonderful letter. Today we're going to look at quite a big section. Uh, we're going to go from sort of the end of chapter 4 right through to the end of chapter 7. I'm not going to try and go into every part of this particular section. We're not, certainly not going to do a, a line-by-line exposition. We simply haven't got time for that today. But we're going to try and explore some of the larger themes that are present uh, in this letter that was written to these Jewish believers to encourage them in their faith in Jesus Christ. The key theme for this section is Jesus as the great high priest. In fact, the greatest high priest. And I thought we'd begin today by understanding what the role of a priest was. The role of the high priest for the people of ancient Israel was a very significant one. Um, Hebrews 5.2 tells us that every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now the high priest had a special role in relation to the other priests, the high priest had this significant role to play on a certain day of the year called the Day of Atonement, when atonement was made for all the community uh, of Israel, all the people. So the high priest would go into a place called the Holy of Holies, which was a separate place in the innermost part of the temple, separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain. And once a year, after many consecration rituals and cleansing rituals, he would enter this most holy place to make atonement for the sins of all the people. And these were intentional and unintentional sins. This was a covering over of the whole community of the people of Israel carried out by the high priest. As we've described before, this is what's called a mediated relationship. The, the high priest was acting as a go-between between the people of Israel and the God of Israel. And this was a mediated relationship that was carried out by the high, high priest. And we can think of this sort of as one step removed. It was, it was the people to the priest and then the priest to God. And so the people were one step removed in their relationship with God. And the author of Hebrews in this section we're looking at today goes on to outline some of the limitations of this relationship. Firstly, he says the mediators themselves, the high priests, weren't perfect go-betweens. Uh, he says in, in, in verse 3 in chapter 5, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And because the priests were human, just like you and I, they too were prone to failing. They were prone to deviating from God's best, God's law. And the writer says they were subject to weakness, like every human being is. And so when they went into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the, the people's sin, they also had to make atonement for their own sin, where they'd fallen short and where they needed restoration. And secondly, because these priests were human, well, they just kept dying off and they needed to be replaced. Humans grow old, they die, and so new high priests need to be raised up to continue this atonement process. It says in Hebrews 7, 23, now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So literally, they need to continue to train up and raise up new high priests all the time. So the writer of Hebrews is, is, 
is expounding how this, this system of priests and atonement had its limitations. Now, I think we have to be careful at this point that we don't label uh, the Day of Atonement and the Torah as some sort of first attempt by God that wasn't very effective at bringing people into relationship with himself. If we do this, the theologian C.B. Cranfield says, the God of the unsuccessful first attempt is hardly a God to be taken seriously. And so if we think somehow the Torah and the atonement that was taking place there with the high priest was somehow God's first failed attempt, then you know, what sort of God are we looking to worship? What sort of God are we, are we visualising if we think that way? The Torah, which means the law that the Israelite people lived under, and the atonement were effective in keeping people in covenantal relationship uh, with God. There was a loving God that they were connected to covenantally through the Torah and through all the regulations and the, and the priest system and the atonement. But there was more to come. There was more to come. One of the best Christmas presents I ever had was a 14-inch black and white television. Now, that may not sound much to you now, but for me, I was desperate to have TV independence. The only TV in our house back then, in my early teens, now you're talking way back, sort of late 70s, early 80s, was my parents' TV. And uh, they pretty much had control over what was shown. You know, the news went on and certain programs went on. And so as a, as a youngster, I, I had programs I wanted to watch, but the only TV we had was the TV in the lounge. And so I, one year I pulled all my Christmas money and made the grand total, I think, of around 65 or 70 pounds, which was just enough for my parents to purchase a 14-inch portable black and white television. And I was so looking forward to this TV. And I can remember waking up at a ridiculously early time on Christmas morning, maybe 4 or 5 a.m. Nobody else was up. And I got up and I went downstairs and there was this TV, my sort of lone Christmas present. I think I had some colouring books or something else, but that was basically it. My, all my money went into this black and white portable TV. And I unwrapped it and I turned it on and I tried to tune it in, but unfortunately at that time of day, BBC One, BBC Two and ITV weren't showing any programmes, so all I had was like a, a white haze on the TV, but I was still very excited. And a bit later on, in fact, it was so far back, Channel 4 hadn't even started, so just three channels. Imagine that, three channels. And um, a bit later on, I got, took it upstairs, got it tuned in, and there it was, this wonderful black and white picture coming through fairly clearly on the little indoor wire aerial that the TV came with. I was delighted. I had TV independence. Now, for some of you listening to this or watching this day, the thought of watching anything on a 14-inch black and white, slightly fuzzy screen is utterly incomprehensible. Everything there is ultra-high digital definition, isn't it? Everything is, is pin-sharp and huge and incredible to look at, vibrant, in fact. Compared to my black and white, slightly blurry analogue TV back in the day, you know, it's very difficult to imagine you put the two side by side and you see, you'd see the difference. But for me, back then, that TV was perfectly adequate for enjoying the television programmes I wanted to watch. You know, if you, but as I say, if you put it next to a big 60-inch, brand-new, high-def, flat-screen TV today, you'd think, how can anybody ever be satisfied with that picture when this is what's available? It doesn't mean my first TV was ineffective. It didn't mean it was unsuccessful. It did the job. It actually let me watch TV programs. But now there's a much better clarity and a much better definition that we all enjoy. 
And I think as we think about the, the Torah and we think about uh, the atonement and the high priests, you know, this was a system that worked. It worked for the Jewish people. It, it kept them in covenantal relationship. But there was more to come. The author of Hebrews, he uses quite strong language to highlight the limitations of the Torah. And maybe he does this to jolt the Jewish recipients into a greater understanding of what Jesus accomplished. He says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So what is, what is really sort of going over the top to describe there is that this mediated relationship of the priest and the people and God was going to become an unmediated relationship. relationship. It's going to be a direct relationship through the person of Jesus Christ. And this wasn't just going to be for the Jewish people, this was going to be for all people, for Gentiles, non-Jews as well. Now everyone could come to know God through Jesus. This would be a first-hand direct relationship, not through a mediating priest. The Torah created a, a bounded set for people to live under. It, it, if you live under these pre-established boundaries of certain food rituals and certain uh, purity laws and, and Sabbath, etc., then you, you lived in covenantal relationship with God. You, you knew where you were in relation to these, if you like, boundary markers. If you stayed within these markers, you were in right relationship with God. But I think what the author of Hebrews is, is really exaggerating is this could cause an imbalance. And, and we see this throughout scripture where, where people ended up focusing more on the boundaries than on the person they were supposed to be in relationship with. And the, and the, and the, the boundary markers became the emphasis, not the relationship with God. And maybe that's why the author of Hebrews says, these former regulations are weak and useless. He describes a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And this better hope is the person of Jesus Christ. So why, why is Jesus better? Well, I thought it'd be good today to look at why Jesus was better for the Jewish believers uh, back in the day the letter was written and why Jesus is better, a better hope for us today. And firstly, for the Jewish believers, their relationship with God was no longer defined by these boundary markers. It was no longer uh, what you would call a bounded set. They could move from a bounded set to a, a centered set which means their life would now be centred around the person of Jesus Christ. They could still maintain their Jewish distinctives in terms of their lifestyle, but now their, their relationship with God was, was mediated by the person of Jesus. Their proximity to God no longer depended on them uh, looking at these boundary markers, if you like. The, the relationship with God was now founded on the person of Jesus Christ and what he'd accomplished. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this, he says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So their relationship with God was no longer mediated on this priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year behind this curtain to make atonement for the community of Israel. Jesus himself went into the most holy place with God, in fact was God in that holy place, and he became the perfect mediator. He became the anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so now the Jewish believers could place their complete trust in what Jesus had accomplished. He would always bring them into God's presence. How about for us, how about for us, we don't 
have a mediating high priest, what does it mean for us? The idea of a priest may seem a very strange concept for us to grasp in in modern times. As Gentiles, as non-Jews, we don't live under Torah, we don't live under these, these regulations. But I think we still all feel this need to be reconciled to God. You may not, and I may not always have expressed it in these terms or, or, or known why I felt the way I did, but I think for every one of us, there's a deep need to be reconciled to God. I know for me, in my late teens and early 20s, I felt disconnected and I couldn't really attribute to what this was. And I now know, looking back, I think this was a hunger in me to be reconciled to the love of God. No matter how distant we feel, because of Jesus, we can approach God with confidence. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It says this in chapter 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You and I can enter into direct relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. We no longer need a high priest to mediate for us as Gentiles. The symbolism here in, in these words is, a, is the throne room of a king and we can enter confidently and fully into that throne room, into the presence of God. You imagine that majestic throne room where God dwells. You and I can walk in with our, he- our heads held high because of what Jesus has accomplished. We can enter that place with total confidence. We can come in and we can receive God's mercy and God's grace and God's love. There's no longer any curtain that separates you and I from God's presence because of what Jesus has done. And so we don't need a certain day, we don't need a certain ritual, we don't need to dress in a certain way, we don't need a certain religious practice or regulation. We can come to God just as we are through the person of Jesus Christ. We can come confident that he will receive us, he will will invite us in to his presence. So that's the first thing. Now, secondly, for the Jewish believers, Jesus completely fulfills all the Jewish priestly obligations. High priests were descending from a certain family line, from the line of Aaron, and they had to wear certain clothes, they had to carry out certain rituals, abstain from certain things, wear certain garments. They had to carry out uh, ceremonies of consecration and cleansing. And we've seen, after all these strict regimes and restrictions, they still were prone to fail. They still had to make atonement for their own failings, their own sins. But Jesus is the perfect high priest. The writer of Hebrews says this, Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He says that in chapter 7. Jesus was and is the ultimate high priest. He's holy, he's blameless, he's pure. He doesn't have to make atonement for his own sins. He meets and exceeds all the qualifications for a high priest. He's the ultimate, the greatest high priest there could be. And the Jewish believers could be totally confident, if you like, in his priestly qualifications. No one was going to exceed him. Again, for us as as non-Jews, we don't, often feel the need for a priestly figure in our lives. We don't, we don't uh, relate to that, that sense of, 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 of connecting to God through a mediated person. But what we do need, I think, in our lives is someone who fully 
understands and can associate with us, with our situation, with our condition, with our feelings. And Jesus is that person. Jesus fully understands and associates with us. It says in chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced every range of human circumstance and every range of human emotion when he dwelt on the earth. And because of that, a better translation of the words here might be, he has compassion for our frailty. He, he understands our condition. He, he knows how we feel, ultimately. He knows what we're experiencing. And Jesus knows and understands what you and I go through. The whole range of what we experience in life, the suffering, the anguish, the highs, the lows, the joy, the sadness. Jesus understands and connects with all of that. Jesus understands it all because he lived it all. He had, he had that full ability to live as a human amongst us, even though he was God, and experience the whole range of what you and I go through. And what this means is we never have to pretend with Jesus. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We can come exactly as we are with all the things that we're carrying and experiencing, the struggles that we have. We can come vulnerably before Jesus. Everything we experience, everything we feel, there are no surprises for him because of he lives upon this earth and experienced the same things too. And we can come to him in vulnerability and honesty. You can bring everything to him and you can receive his love and his grace and his comfort into your life. And so we don't have to go through any religious practices or regulations or appear to be a certain way because Jesus fully understands our condition, fully associates with us. We can receive his love at any time into our lives, into our situation. Thirdly, for the Jewish believers, Jesus dealt with the ongoing need for more priests. We said priests got old, they died out. But new priests were needed. But Jesus will live forever. No more high priests will be needed beyond Jesus. It says in Hebrews 7, 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has permanent priesthood. So Jesus now occupies that role as the high priest permanently. No one's ever going to replace him. No one's ever going to succeed him. No one's going to come along and take over from Jesus in the future. And so for us, Jesus also deals with that issue of sin in our lives. It says in Hebrews 7, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus dealt with the issue of sin once and for all, for everyone, for all time. Nothing you can do or have done, Jesus didn't cover, Jesus didn't deal with. Yeah, you, don't, you haven't done the sin, the one thing that Jesus didn't make atonement for. He has dealt with sin once and for all. And when we come to him and we receive his forgiveness and his atonement and what he's accomplished, Jesus has dealt with that sin in our lives. And he continues to do that. He continues to deal with sin going forward. So we don't have to live perfect lives as Christians. We will fail, we will fall down, just as those high priests did. But Jesus continually made atonement for those sins. And so we can live in that security and assurance that the Father will always restore us, always forgive us, always welcome us back into his presence. No further sacrifices will be needed. That's what Jesus did when he accomplished that 
on the cross. And finally, for the Jewish believers, Jesus is the great high priest. In fact, he's the greatest high priest. And so because of this, the writer urges them to take hold of Jesus, to take hold of him firmly. He says in, in, in Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. So he urges them to say, hang on to Jesus. He's the security that you now have available to you. You can hold on to him. He's the ultimate connection to the Father. And that was a great blessing to them, I'm sure. But for us as non-Jews, there's another great blessing. There's another amazing thing, an extraordinary thing that Jesus did. He took the promise of God that was limited to the Jewish people, to the Israelite people, and he extended it to all people, to everyone, to Jew and Gentile alike. So prior to Jesus, the Jewish people would draw near to God through the Torah and through the, the regulation, the ritual and, 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 the, and the law. And now everyone can come to Jesus. Everyone can come to God through him. It says Jesus can save completely all who come to God through him in Hebrews chapter 7. And the word that's used here in this passage, the word for save, is the word sozo, and it means to make whole, literally to make whole. So Jesus can deliver, protect, heal, restore, and make whole every person that comes to him, every person that connects to God through him. So Jesus is our permanent high priest, the greatest high priest, continually bringing us into the Father's presence so that we're totally received, totally accepted, and totally loved. This has been a really big section today, whizzing through chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we've covered some big concepts. I've deliberately skipped over the warnings against spiritual laziness in, uh, in chapter 5 and 6. Maybe you can go away and read those for yourself. always encourage you to look at these texts in your own time as well to get more from them. But the author says in chapter 6, verse 9, I'm convinced of better things in your case. So I'm convinced that you don't need warnings against spiritual laziness today. So we've learned that for the Jew and for the Gentile alike, Jesus has become the great high priest. He fulfilled for the Jew all the obligations of the Torah, all the priestly obligations of the atonement. And for the Gentile, for you and I, he opened up a way for us all to come into the Father's presence and experience a direct, unmediated, one-on-one relationship with God. So Jesus was and is the ultimate priest-king. He's morally flawless, and he's eternally available for all people who will come to him. And he's greater than any other mediator between humans and God. No one will ever succeed him. No one will ever become a greater high priest than Jesus. And I want to invite us all to come to God through him again today, to come to him and receive his healing, receive all that he has for us, receive the grace and the love and the acceptance that he offers. You may be opening the door of your heart to God for the first time today. You may be opening the door of your heart to God for the hundredth or the thousandth time today. But let's all just now pray and come to God again through the person of Jesus, recognising all that he's done in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these extraordinary words that have been passed down to us, God. We thank you for the, this letter, God, that encourages us and, and, uh, and, and draws us closer to the truth of who you are. 
Jesus, we come to you again today as the great high priest. We come to you and receive your love and your grace into our lives. We come to you and come to the Father. We come into the throne room of grace and mercy confidently because of all you've done on the cross, all you've accomplished in your life. The kingdom plan, God, that we're now drawn into, God. The great restoration of all things. The great reconciliation of all things to the Father's love. Jesus, we open the door of our hearts and we invite you in. We welcome you. We receive you and we declare you are Lord. And we ask you, God, to, to lead us, heal us, restore us. God, take us into your future. Take us into all that you have for us. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.